Hi, everyone. Good morning. A little bit of a hot day today, right? Okay, I'm just going to move this out of the way so I don't step on it. How's everyone doing this morning? Okay, good. Good, excellent. I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, it has been blessing uh, to be with you these past few weeks, uh, and we've been in the midst of a series talking about what it means to be the church. Uh, and if you've been in church for a while, uh, I hope you grew up, especially for those who've grown up in church, I hope you've heard messages telling you how God has uniquely created you for his purposes on earth. I hope you heard someone telling you that God made you special and he loves you very much. There's supposed to be a veggie. Yeah. Okay. There you go. There it is. Thanks, Bob and Larry. I hope you heard someone telling you that God has a plan for your life. And the good news is all of that is 100% true. You were fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who loves you more than you can possibly fathom. Yet, it might not always feel that way. If we're being honest, uh, many of us may struggle with things that we don't like about ourselves. Maybe we feel like we're too shy and introverted. Maybe we feel like we're too loud and overbearing. Maybe we're too sensitive or not sensitive enough. Maybe we're too laid back or maybe we're too intense. Maybe we wish, we wish we were funnier, like I wish I was funnier. Or maybe we wish people would take us more seriously. Most of us have at least one thing we wish that we could change about ourselves or we feel like we are not enough, like we are deficient or defective in some way. Do you ever feel inadequate? Do you ever compare yourself to others? Maybe you think, why can't I be more like so-and-so? Why can't I be as talented or intelligent or attractive as someone else? Why do I have to just be me? And maybe we feel this way because deep down we need to know, who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? And so where can we turn to for answers to such deep existential questions? Where else, of course, but the internet. In addition to these well-established personality assessments like Myers-Briggs type indicator, DISC, and Enneagram, the internet has also birthed a plethora of other helpful online tests like what's your spirit animal? Which Hogwarts house do you belong to? Which Disney princess are you? And which Avenger are you? And these may seem silly and superficial, and of course, many of them are, but they point to a deeper truth about the human condition. We long to know and understand who we are. We want to understand ourselves. And perhaps we're searching for a reason why we are the way we are. We want to know that we're not some kind of accident. Perhaps we want some assurance that we're okay, we're valuable, or we're not alone. Or maybe you might not relate to this at all. Maybe you feel very sure of yourself. Uh, you like yourself just fine. Maybe you are confident, so you don't need anyone to give you a label or put you in a box. You do you. I get it. I mean, who's got time for such like silly online personality tests anyway, right? 
by the way, I'm INTJ, Enneagram 5, Wing 6, Ravenclaw, Cinderella, and I'm Iron Man. Um, somehow my spirit animal is a kitten. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, we are all designed with a purpose in mind. Each of us have a unique combination of gifts, experiences, and personality traits that are there for a reason. However, many of us might struggle to know what that reason is. And so we default to running the rat race, right? Some of us go to school so we can get a good job, so we can make a comfortable living, so we can have some kids who can also go to school and so they can make a good living and you know, so on and so forth. Or we might simply be just, just doing what we need to survive. Work, eat, sleep, repeat. Maybe we might be doing it wrong. Maybe we were designed for more. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, you are God's handiwork. The word in Greek is poema, which means a masterpiece, a work of art. And you were prepared for a purpose, to do good works. You have a purpose. You matter. Isn't that good news? However, we have a tendency to overlook a very important word in this verse that carries a lot of meaning. We. Not me, not you, but we are God's handiwork. See, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is speaking to a community of people. In other words, you are not a masterpiece all by yourself. You are a puzzle piece. You are a wonderfully, beautifully made puzzle piece, but you are not a masterpiece until you've been put together with others. So do you sometimes feel incomplete or struggle with feelings of inadequacy? There's actually a really good reason for that. So I'm going to tell you the truth right now. Ready? The reason you feel incomplete and inadequate is you are. Wait, nobody go anywhere, let, let me explain. See, our surrounding culture idolizes rugged individualism. It's an American thing. We may not even be aware of it, but our lives are surrounded and infused with it. We all want to be self-sufficient, right? We don't want to have to rely on anyone else. And our culture stresses that we are special and unique and that we're enough and we're perfect the way we are. And there's some truth to that, but it's perhaps not the whole truth. It is true that you are God's handiwork and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made all on your own, but it is also true that you were never meant to be all on your own. You were made for connection and community. You were made to be together, not alone. That's who we are. That is our purpose. That is our reason for being. And so today we're going to be looking at a pretty long passage in, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in which the Apostle Paul lays out a kind of blueprint for what it means to be the church. This is basically how to be a church 101. But it, it's also going to help us better understand who we are and what we're made for. 
And in this passage, Paul uses a metaphor for the human body. He says, the body is not made up of one part, but of many, right? And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And just because the ear says, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that doesn't stop it from being an essential part of the body. Have you ever said or thought something like that? Have you ever wondered, do I belong here? It may not be immediately apparent, but I grew up with quite the spiritual inferiority complex. Why? Because I grew up in a Korean, American, Korean immigrant church. Uh, for those of you who might not be aware, the Korean church is well known for being very fervent and faithful in prayer. And the churches I grew up in did not mess around when it came to prayer. They would have these long times of prayer that were super intense, especially at retreats. And during these times, I rarely had any idea what was going on. So naturally, I faked it, right? Anyone else ever do? No, don't worry about it. You don't have to raise your hand. Inside, I mean, outside, I was just doing what was expected. But inside, I felt so insecure, so out of place. And how are the, all these people having these intense experiences with God, but me, nothing. Mostly just confusion. To make things worse, my mother, uh, in her later years of life, she lived in Korea while we were living here in the United States, and she didn't work anymore, so she had lots of time on her hands. And so this is her day. She would get up early in the morning, go to early morning prayer, prayer pray for a few hours, then she would come home, do some housework, then pray for a few more hours. Then maybe she might run some errands, maybe go to another afternoon prayer meeting, come home, make dinner, either pray for another few hours at night or go to another prayer service somewhere else because in Korea, there's always a prayer meeting happening somewhere. She literally play, prayed like it was her full-time job. And to my mom, the spiritual life equals prayer. Sure, there are some other things thrown in there, like sermons and songs, etc. But basically to her, prayer was the measure of whether you are a Christian at all. The problem is, I sucked at prayer. Or at least not, I, I was never good at the kind of prayer that she uh, was a master at. In retrospect, it may have something to do with the debilitating shame. But anyway, during the time, I was studying in seminary. And I was already ministering in churches, but I still felt so inadequate. And my mother would call me out of the blue. And she would, she would call, I would see who it is, and I would say, oh, hi, Mom, how are you? And this is her voice, fine. Do you pray? Um, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Pray. Bye. Okay, bye. I <sighs> have these like almost panic attacks. Right? Prayer has always been hard for me. There's no way I could ever measure up to the way my mom prayed. And it took me a very long time to realize I'm not my mom. She's an old Korean lady with nothing but time on her hands. And she could pray, God bless her. I was a first-time dad in full-time school and ministry, and I barely slept in those, in those days. 
I had to realize that I can be who God made me to be, and my mom can be who God made her to be. And while she passed away a few years ago, I'm so thankful that I had someone praying for me and, my, and for my family every day, literally for hours a day. She had a gift that I didn't have, but I also had gifts that she didn't have. And I do wish we both could have appreciated that more. Maybe you felt inadequate or disqualified in some way from being used by God for some reason. Maybe you feel like I'm not spiritual enough or I'm not good at speaking in front of people or I can't sing or I don't know enough about the Bible or I'm too busy or I'm too young or too old, too quiet, too loud. Maybe I'm bad at prayer. I'm not a hand. I'm just a foot. I'm not an eye. I'm, I'm just an ear. To this, Paul says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? He's saying we are designed to be different. And those differences in our personalities, our passions, our abilities, our experiences are there on purpose. It's supposed to be that way. That is how a body works. Paul continues, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The reason you don't feel adequate or complete on your own is that you were never meant to be. God made each of us special and uniquely incomplete and inadequate. Why? So that we would need each other. So that we would be a body. Our deficiencies, our weaknesses, they're meant to move us toward one another. But we have a tendency to resist and deny this because we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be independent. And one of these, one of the biggest half-truths our culture tells us is that it's all about you. And I call it a half-truth because you are important. You are a person of inestimable value. So yeah, it, it is your life. It is about you. It's just not all about you. But because of this one-sided half-truth, we might be conditioned or programmed to prioritize our own personal advancement or fulfillment over nearly everything else. We might resist making commitments or attachments because it might hinder our freedom. It might limit our options. We consider it very normal to invest time and money into our own experiences or accomplishments. But what about our relationships? Friends, self-sufficiency, individualism, are severely overrated. We can be so preoccupied with our own freedom and individuality, yet not realize it's the very reason we feel so alone and empty. We're made for love. We're made for companionship and for community and connection. That is our ultimate purpose. We are made to be in a body. Ultimately, if we live only for ourselves, 
instead of something greater than ourselves. We'll end up living a very small life instead of the full life God made us for. When we look around, the results of this rampant individualism speak for themselves, skyrocketing loneliness and a mental health crisis no one's ever seen before. You may have heard of the, uh, the famous Harvard University study, right? They conducted uh, uh, this really famous scientific study that spanned over 75 years, and it costed them $20 million. It's sometimes called the happiness study. And essentially, its purpose was to determine what factors contributed most to human flourishing. In other words, what makes people happy? And the director of the study for over three decades had one key takeaway. 75 years, $20 million, and he summed the whole study up in just five words. Happiness is love. Full stop. They could have just read their Bibles. I could have saved them a lot of time and money, you know. We are God's handiwork, created for good works. I am not enough on my own. I am not the body. I am just a body part. I need you. You need me. You have gifts that I don't, and I have gifts that you don't have. We are designed to have both strengths that we can offer to others and weaknesses so that others can offer themselves to us. We give and we receive. That's what it means to be a body. Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Few things feel more vulnerable than to say the words, I need you. But Paul is describing a way of being a body that means every part, every member is indispensable. It's the kind of community that says, without you, we are incomplete. We don't just want you here, we need you here. You are indispensable. We cannot be church without you. Imagine that kind of community. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, you complete me. <laughs> I always get surprised when you actually do it. So it's like <laughs> that is what a church community can be so interwoven in loving relationships that every person is indispensable. A community in which every person matters. Paul is saying the weak parts are just as precious and valuable as the strong parts. For some of us, this might be a hard concept to wrap our heads around, especially for those of us who are these kind of competitive individualists. I mean, isn't the whole life point of life to win? And that may even be why many of you came to Boston, you know, to study or work so that you might get ahead of the competition. But Paul says God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it 
so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. In a body, there is no hierarchy, no competition, no division, just love, mutuality, and interdependence. This kind of community only makes sense when we shift from a me to we mentality. The end goal and purpose of our lives is not to win, but to love. Paul says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And the word that describes this way of relating to one another is solidarity. It's living and loving in such a way that sees all of us as one as parts of a bigger whole. Imagine what it would be like to experience that kind of oneness and belonging. Imagine sharing our joys and our sorrows so that no one ever has to celebrate or go through hardship alone. Imagine being a body in which every part has equal concern for the other, where everyone belongs and no one is left out. But it can be hard to be a body like that. Why? Because, as we said earlier, we are special and unique, which means we are not the same. We're going to have differences. We are one body, but we're many parts, which means we may, may not see eye to eye. We may even see and value things very differently from one another. And I've learned this over the years. Um, my wife's name is Alice. Uh, I got to talk her about, about her a little bit because she's not here with me. Uh, so, uh, and we've been married for almost 24 years. It'll be 24 years this October. And before that, we dated for five years. As I mentioned, you know, first time I was here, we met freshman year in college. One month later, we're, you know, destined for life. Um, so we've been together for almost 30 years. And all that time has only confirmed the fact that we are very different from each other. We are polar opposites in many ways. So I'll give you one example. We both have very different styles when it comes to traveling. I mean, we have different styles when it comes to most things, but I'm a planner and she is more free flowing. And so when we go on vacation, I do a ton of research and I create a detailed plan that takes into account literally dozens of factors and values into a complex matrix of possibilities, and I reduce them all into an itinerary that strikes the optimal balance of all of our competing priorities into the limited time that we have. And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, of course. And just as everything is going according to plan, Alice, who's more of a go-with-the-flow kind of person, will see something interesting out of the corner of her eye and say, hey, why don't we go over there? Why? Because I just did a ton of research and created a detailed plan that takes into account literally dozens of factors and values into a complex matrix of possibilities and reduce them all into an itinerary that strikes the optimal balance of all of our competing priorities into the limited time that we have. That's why. So I know this character trait is not always one of Alice's favorite things about me, but is also one of the things about me that helps me be effective and good at the things I do, which Alice does appreciate, I think, most of the time. I don't always appreciate her 
you know, lack of planning and attention to detail. That's what it appears like to me. But I do really appreciate her ability to be flexible and present in the moment, something that I struggle with. All of us have strengths and weaknesses, and most of them are just two sides of the same coin. And this is an important insight to hold on to when it comes to understanding ourselves and how we're supposed to relate to one another. See, we are not God, right? We don't get to be perfect. We are only human. And we humans don't get to be perfect. We only get to have both strengths and weaknesses. And often the two usually go hand in hand. There is usually no strength that doesn't come with a corresponding weakness and no weakness that doesn't come with a corresponding strength. Perhaps that personality trait that you take so much pride in also comes with a downside. Maybe you're strong-willed and able to get things done, but it can also make you seem intimidating and hard to get close to. Maybe something you perceive as a flaw or a weakness in you is actually a strength in disguise. Maybe you wish you could be more passionate and in touch with your emotions, but actually that cool detachment of yours is what enables you to be reliable and calm under pressure. Sometimes you just can't have one without the other. You've got to take them both. And the key is to recognize that your weaknesses only means that you're not made to be alone. You need the body. And your strengths also mean you're not made to be alone. The body needs you. In humility, we can see and embrace both the good and bad in all of us, the beauty and the broken together. That's what makes us who we are. Verse 27 says, now we are the body of Christ. Each one of us is a part of it, which means that each one of you is special and uniquely made to reflect a different aspect of the image of God to others to each other. Maybe your, your sensitive nature reflects God's gentleness and compassion for others. Maybe your strong personality reflects his passion for truth and justice. Maybe your intellect, intellectual curiosity reflects his wisdom. Maybe your humor and playfulness reflects God's joy. Only by being together do we see a fuller picture of who God is because none of us by ourselves are the body. We together are the body of Christ. And by the way, if we're a body, then love must be the connective tissue, right? We remember from last week, the most excellent way is love. That's the chapter right after this. You know, everyone loves to read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings, but it's not really about marriage. It's really about being a body. Loving relationships are what bind us together, they're what make us a body. And if love is the main goal here, then every part, no matter how big or small, every person has an integral role to play. So what does this mean for us? It means this body needs you. It needs your strengths and your weaknesses. It needs your gifts, your personality, and your presence. There are people here who need your care and support. And there are people here who can offer care and support to you. That's what it means to be a body. 
What does it mean for you to be a part of this community? Maybe for some of you, it means taking a deeper step into relationships here. Maybe it means serving in a new way or perhaps an old one. Or as we talked about last week, maybe it means just inviting people for dinner or a meal. Maybe for you, it just means showing up. Whatever it looks like for you, perhaps God may be inviting you to make a deeper investment or commitment to this body by playing your part. Perhaps you might even ask yourself, what part of the body am I? What is my unique contribution here? What do I have to give? And what do I need to receive from this body? And how does that happen? How do I do that? And I'd like to offer one more challenge. Is there someone in your life, or perhaps someone even here, someone you've thought about to yourself? I don't need them. Or maybe you've thought to yourself, they don't need me. Paul doesn't say to become the body of Christ. He says, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. In other words, it's a reality that is already true whether you like it or not. Sorry, I don't make the rules. We belong to each other. We are a body. So the only option here, well, two options. Either we sever and we dismember or we love one another. How can you take some steps in this next week to put that into practice? Maybe it means a long overdue, honest conversation with someone. Maybe it means stepping out of your comfort zone and reaching out to someone God might be bringing to your mind right now. A church is supposed to be a spiritual family, a place of love, oneness, and belonging where every person matters. What would it take for Cornerstone to be a church like that? How can you play a part in helping Cornerstone be a church like that? I want to close with some words from Teresa of Avila as a reminder of who we are and what we're made for. We have a purpose, but none of us can do it alone. We need each other because we're meant to be together. We are meant to be a body, the body of Christ. So listen. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Amen.